Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the film Maleficent and two fanfics, Looking Glass Country by Astolat and Three Days by Zam Wessel. Welcome to Be the Serpent, episode 44, Sympathy for the Devil, coming to you live from Worldcon! We are your classy and sophisticated hosts. I'm Alex, and I am the serpent in the Garden of Eden. I'm Freya, and I am the snakes of the Caduceus. I'm Macy, and I am Yomanganda, the world serpent. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about redeeming villains. With today's temples, which are the Disney movie Maleficent, the Lame Is fanfic Three Days by Zam Westfall, and the Smallville fanfic Looking Glass Country by. Astolat! Take a drink! <laughs> Is anyone surprised? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, we are on our bullshit today, okay. as ever. Yep, yep, yep. yep. never not. Uh, I think that Freya is cheating with which one she is, because that's just her demon, is yeah. two snakes fucking a stick. <laughs> um, well, two snakes fucking a stick is a multi-purpose symbol. Sure. It can be used for anything. I'm going to mention. We're going to swear a lot. We're going to yeah. swear a lot. Yeah. We're going to swear a lot, and Freya's going to get closer to her microphone. A little bit. I, thank you for that. I was also... This one, please. This one's doing fine. This sure. one needs help. All yeah. the microphones. We are going to get close to it all the get. microphones. We have never done this before. So right. please bear with us. All right. <laughs> uh, we're so excited to be here doing our first ever live show. We love all of you for coming. Uh, first of all, before we get started, a quick question. Is there anyone who, uh, for whom this is your first time listening to the podcast? Whoa! A lot of you. Hello. Welcome. Uh, round of applause. Yes. And for those of you who are new and were wondering why we were the serpents of different types, we always start off the episode by saying which ones of whatever thing we are. And we wanted to make a big deal about the fact that we are indeed bringing the serpents back to Ireland. And then <laughs> we raised the ire of St. Patrick somehow. It was my fault. Sorry. Yeah, that was it was. Uh, yeah, because I made a joke on Twitter and that was... It's fine. This is why we're all dressed as Gryffindors, we're to appease St. Patrick. Uh, None of us are Gryffindors, but we're hoping that he just won't know. Yeah, it's, it'll be fine. And a little bit of news. Um, we will not be taking questions from the audience at the end of this panel, but we will be having a little bit of a meet and greet Q&A hangout thing immediately afterwards in Martin's Bar, which is just downstairs. So follow us, find some snacks. Uh, we'll be happy to answer your questions there. And we just want to make sure that we are courteous to the next panel after us, and also that we have enough material for a full episode. Yes, yes. Uh, my microphone is a little bit loud. Could I be turned down? Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, shall we have a fucking episode? Let's, Let's have a do it. fucking episode. Woo! So, as is our tradition at the top of the episode, we usually define some terms. Yes. So, uh, big question: What do we mean by villain? You did the thing where you get to ask the questions. So <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yes, <bastard>. I did. <laughs> um, what is a villain? Somebody who does something morally wrong to a degree that is excessive. I would disagree. Of course. Continue. I think the villain is whatever the narrative, if it is a successful story, wants you to think it is. 
Sure. So the villain could be someone who has done something very slightly wrong, and there could be someone who's done something very morally reprehensible who is not being framed as a villain. Is the villain and the antagonist always the same thing? Hmm. Are all antagonists villains? Well, if you have an anti-hero, they can kind of be the villain of the story as well. Sure. No, and I I think I would agree, because sometimes you can have the villain be the protagonist. Uh, Name is. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that later, Macy. (laughs) Well, having defined what we meant by villain, let me ask instead, what do we mean by redemption? That's a really big, meaty question. And I brought this on myself because I was the person who added this to the Google Doc. (laughs) I would suggest we don't try and answer it now, but just assume we will answer it as we go. Well, I think that we have to say a little bit um, about the difference between redemption and apologism. It's complicated. It is complicated. And I think it's really subjective as well because redemption is earned. You know, redemption is a process. It's something mm. that they have to have a whole character arc to kind of deal with. That's fair. I think that there are many different ways to do this in narratives, and these don't always hold true to real life either, which is another interesting way that we bend reality to make it fit the shape of a story. But let's go through some examples and then dig into this a little deeper later, maybe. Sure. Yes, let's go. Who's in charge? God damn it, I'm in charge. You're in charge. <laughs> So, um, our first tentpole, and for those of you who are new to us, the way that we do this is we use three illustrative examples of the topic of the episode, and we call them tentpoles because we love us a joke. They hold everything up. It's a dick joke. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Just Just say it. Just admit it. (laughs) I was being classy. Um, So... First. We got nominated for a Hugo. We don't have to be classy anymore. Uh, okay. We've sure. already been legitimized. <laughs> anyway, let's get back on our bullshit and talk about Astolat. So, um, the first pick that we are talking about is Looking Glass Country, which is vintage Astolat. Um, you can tell this because the best place to read it is her website, not AO3. Um as I discovered yes. while I was attempting to read this yesterday. <laughs> Alex got very confused. So Looking Glass Country is the story of Lex Luthor, who gets yeeted into another <laughs> part of the multiverse, uh, where he is a mad scientist who is hiding out with a gang of villains called the Legion of Doom. And he's like, what the fuck do I do with this? This is Smallville Lex Luthor, the, the businessman, the new Alexander. Um, and he has this, like cadre of fifth-rate supervillains and has to figure out how to get back into the top of the game. And you then swap to the point of view of the mad scientist who has been yeeted into Lex Luthor's corporate headquarters as Elon Musk type, like, oh no, suddenly I am a corporate dude and is deeply distressed by this. And the thing about the fic is It doesn't really tell you which Lex you are at any given point in time, except that the website has little color-coded things so you can tell. So Alex was like, how many Lexes are there? I was was trying to read it on AO3 and I was extremely confused because I've never seen Smallville for one thing. Uh, And I have very, very little experience of Superman whatsoever. So I was like, oh yeah, this Lex Luthor guy, I think he's like an evil supervillain or something, probably. A sort of cultural osmosis. And so the, the thing about Lex is that um, he is this brilliant person who could achieve amazing things. And it kind of gets twisted in Smallville by like 
jealousy and um, loose morals into being a supervillain, but we watch his path and his descent into being a villain. And what this fic does is it makes the argument that villainry is a lot about context. So if you take the logistics genius and political genius of Smallville Lex and drop him into a situation where there's runaway climate change and all of this tension in the world that he can now solve, suddenly he is saving the world. And this is very uncomfortable for him. Yes. I love that you got to see a bit of backstory for both of these different types of Lex Luthor. You got mm-hmm. one in Smallville and then you had this alternate dimension one. And in both cases, the backstory either assumed or invented was showing you this is why they've ended up in a villain role. Right. And it's basically the same person taken in two different directions. And it basically says, look, of course he ended up here. He's a very intellectual, clever person with no tolerance for boredom or being under the control of somebody who is less clever than himself. And in the world as it exists, that was the only place he could turn up. And by changing the world, suddenly you've changed the context and exactly the same person, as you said, is now saving the world rather than ruling it or dooming it. And I have a question for you two. Was this a redemption story? It was if you look at one particular type of redemption, which is redemption through consequence of action. Mm. Yes, yes, right. Because there's this huge difference between intent and like character redemption versus are you doing good in the world while still being a terrible human being? Um, There's this great quote from the science Lex Luthor who has landed himself in in the middle of this 30-year plan to take over the world that our normal Lex Luthor has. And he suddenly sees this plan unfolding in front of him. And he says, like, the 30-year plan wasn't simply desirable but necessary, or he'd wind up living in a reenactment of the Dark Ages, which wasn't a, his idea of a good time, no matter how little he cared about humanity. So he's just like, I don't want to, like, have the world end, so I'm going to have to do the good thing. But he isn't trying to be redeemed. He isn't sorry. No, he doesn't want the world to end. He's motivations are very selfish but they are i don't want to be bored which is very relatable I think. <laughs> yeah and it's it's true because it's redemption by action it's this idea that you're a terrible person but you are the one that we can turn to for help but he's not actually a terrible person if he was bored he should have just started a podcast <laughs> yeah it is an you're excellent not wrong. <laughs> Why? What is this face you turn have, for? You have 100% more podcasts than us. That's I do true. have 100 <laughs> You're right. Oh, I see what we're doing now. We're making fun of Alex for having two podcasts instead of just one podcast. Very good. Are you enjoying the face journeys of... of the- <laughs> there would be face journeys. There are so many face journeys. In every episode of the podcast, there's like this invisible second podcast that happens. Um, what? Oh, I'm sorry, Alessandra. Jeez. We are being instructed we're getting by our a, publicity team. We're to getting sit a, a face journey from the audience as well. Everybody sort of, lovely, lovely. Everybody pose. Everybody Sorry, Alice. So what I was saying. So this idea of redemption through a villain being the only person that you can turn to for help. Mm. This is kind of a redemption story, but it doesn't have to be to use that trope. So think about Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. I he, frequently am. <laughs> well, in Science of the Lambs, it's the similar kind of, oh no, you know, this genius person who's done very bad things, but he's the only one who can help in this particular case. Mm. But they don't make an argument that usefulness is enough to redeem someone. He's still considered to be, by that narrative, inherently evil. Mm. There's no redemption of, of him in Silence of the Lambs, it's just use. And it's, the similar thing is happening here. Lex doesn't actually change as a person. 
It's just he becomes more useful, and suddenly that's fine. But he's not evil to the same extent. No, that Hannah I will argue is. there is one moment of actual redemption in this fic, and it is the moment when uh, business Lex Luthor looks at the situation and says, I can't go back to my original world because if I did, I would take over the world. And that's a bad thing. Mm, like yeah. that was his one moment of doing a noble choice. Yeah. Mm, also, yeah. he was busily stopping Superman in his world by then. So <laughs> this is an Astolette fix. So, like, what do you expect? You know, like, yeah. I was waiting for it to come. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, I didn't. I didn't hear it until I said it. Uh, it's, a, it's a seminal example of the genre. Why are we using? Why are we even using words anymore? I mean, true. We just need to like flags that just say insert dick joke. <laughs> so you just Please laugh. laugh. <laughs> the word seminal. Word, yeah. Anyway, uh, shall we move on to the one that actually maybe has redemption in it? Yes. So the next tentpole is the fanfic Three Days, open parentheses, or the one where Javert and Valjean take a road trip through France and raise a child, close parentheses, by Zam Wessel. There's a reason I refuse to read the... the blah, 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 blah. There's a reason I refuse to... No, I can't to... edit that out now. So <laughs> it's fine. Uh, there's a reason I refuse to use the whole parenthetical in the... Intro, yeah, because yeah. goodness. It's a very long title. <laughs> um, so this is a Les Mis fic. It is a... So I'm not super familiar with Les Mis, although I am certainly more familiar with Les Mis than I am with Smart Smallville. So thank you for these fanfiction choices, Macy. Uh, Helping. And possibly also Freya. I don't remember. No, no, no this, this was my fault. No, this was my fault. It's normally my fault, but this time particularly. Yes. Uh, so it is a canon divergent AU. Yes where um, just after Javert discovers who Valjean is, Valjean says, give me three days, I have to go uh, make sure that this child is taken care of and get her to someone who will take better care of her, I promised her mother. And Javert says, no, you're just trying to like escape and I'm super suspicious of you, so I'm gonna follow you the whole way. And three days turns into much longer than that. Yeah. Um, due to plot events. Because it's from the, the song, Three Days of All I Need. Yes. Yes. I, Absolutely. Not that familiar with Les Mis. Thank oh, we you. are very familiar. We were trying to help. I we know. We were trying to help Alex earlier by singing the songs at them. Yeah, I was like having a little bit of stage fright. And so Macy kept trying to like get me into Les Mis songs. And I'm like, I don't know that one. <laughs> I don't know that one either. I know like stars. Turns and out know, we all know stars. We all know stars. <laughs> I know On My Own. And I know uh, Red and Black and the end one. And never, all right. Yeah, we're so not going to sing. We're, not. we're being good. We're uh, being good. In, in this fic... Oh yes, so it's basically it basically ends up being kid fic. Yeah. So like they are end up kind of adopting Cosette together and uh, happily living their lives. Happily living their lives together as co-fathers of this child. Like, it starts it starts off resentfully living their lives yes, together, yes. becomes happily. And there's a really wonderful arc of Javert sort of breaking from this very like staunch and and rigid god damn it i keep doing these dick jokes i don't mean to <laughs> it's one of those days dear it listeners is. yep um and sort of learning to become more adaptable and and accepting of other people specifically there's this great line about uh that javert says to valjean which is you have managed to ruin me thoroughly you and your verses and your mercy so there's the idea that Javert is this extremely rigid, um, lawful good type, mm -hmm. to the point that he is the villain because he is lawful good. 
and this fic manages to prize him open like a clam yeah. be like actually mercy is a virtue See, i would you describe dick. him as lawful neutral because he doesn't act, the law That's is ever, the law That's is everything fair. he will That's follow fair. the law wherever it goes it law serves as morality for him and this you're right this fic is about him discovering that there is a morality that can be adhered to outside the bounds of the word of the law Yes, and that the law itself can be unjust, and what it has done to him and what it has done to Valjean yeah, it's basically, is unjust. The thing is, Javert discovering the thesis of the musical, <laughs> really. <laughs> because that's what the musical is about. It yep. just sort of allows Javert to f- discover it for himself instead of having him hurl himself off a bridge. So we have this dot point here that apparently you guys have a theory <laughs> about what... Uh, we have to do the sorting hat chats thing. Yes. Uh, is there anyone who doesn't know what Sorting Hat Chats is? I bet that there is. Yes. Okay, cool. So Sorting Hat Chats is an alternative, like Harry Potter, like characterization, um, categorization of character thing where people have like a moral house, how they decide what's a moral choice to do. And then they have a like performative choice, like how do they achieve things in the world? Yeah. So like morals versus tools, the tools that you use to execute your thing. And I think for the purpose of this episode, the morals is far more interesting for these characters than the tools. So our theory, when we had a big discussion, is that in this fic in particular, Javert is a Ravenclaw primary, Hufflepuff secondary. Oh, I disagree on both of them. Oh, okay. So our reasoning is he works within a very structured morality and he has chosen for his structure the law as it exists. Okay. There's nothing instinctive about it. He just leans into the rules of law. So it's a structured morality rather than an instinct morality. So it's Ravenclaw. And also okay. that the degree to which he cleaves to the Bible and the source of quotes um, and to justify his rules is that he has to make rules from, like a magpie, sticking bits of verse together. I was putting him as a Ravenclaw secondary. No, see, I think he's more Hufflepuff, but that's just from the I will follow you to the ends of the earth, step by step by step by step, like dog- doggedly chasing someone doing. down. That, that's us. What's yours? I was going to say Gryffindor primary, Ravenclaw secondary. He doesn't feel... So Gryffindor primary is, I feel that this is a morally good thing to do. Ravenclaw primary is, I have built a system of rules that make me decide what's good. I argue that Javert does not have... is not in touch with his emotions sufficiently to be a Gryffindor primary. Okay, okay. He's, he's, he's real starched. Yeah. yeah. He's a really starchy boy. He's a, he's a starchy boy. He's a, he's a potato boy. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he could argue that by the end of the fic, he has <laughs> had his primary broken, but yes. in a positive way. Yeah. This is, this is the question we were going to talk about later. I'm going to shoehorn it in here. Go. Um, do we believe that in order to redeem a villain, you have to break them? Yeah, possibly. I mean, or like break their moral core, because you're entirely pivoting. You're attacking to use a sailing yes, terminology yes. to to truly redeem them they have to change something either they have to change their moral center or they change their tools so i don't think well no listen to me listen to me because lex Luthor doesn't change his morality he does change how he does things a little bit but right? i'm still arguing that even though i picked this fic that 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 he didn't actually really redeem himself unless you're taking a very like do i mean calvinist but like the, the, the things that you do are your moral yes. yeah. results I think Which is a, a valid approach. It's just yeah. not one that I personally attach to as a narrative. I think that I think that you would have to break one of the houses or heal one of the houses because they might be burned. Oh, because you're talking about methods as the second houses. Yes, that's what yeah. we're saying. The burning. Yeah. 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 So, so either like you 
change your primary house or you change your secondary house? Mm-hmm. Well, not, not even necessarily change them. So particularly Ravenclaws are very good at having their system of laws broken and proven wrong and then changing to a new system of rules, mm. which I feel perhaps is what Javert does here. Um, but did we have... I wanted to say, I had yeah. some thoughts about this fic, <laughs> unsurprisingly, in that I, and shockingly, I don't think this had to be a romance story. Because we haven't really talked about the fact that it, you know, it is kid fic, it, it ends up with Valjean and Javert in a relationship, but it didn't have to be. And for lots of it, I was like, well, I can take or leave this side of it. They could have worked very easily if they had just adopted a child together. Platonically, Javert Javert could have gone through the same transformation or same, you know, slow unbending. But there was actually some interesting things that happened in the sex scenes in particular. And by the time I hit those, I was like, well, they don't need to be here, but I'm sure, why not? I like a good sex scene. That it did some things that I (laughs) absolutely that I wasn't expecting. And that was some of the stuff to do with it allowed the intimacy and the rawness of that scene allowed Javert to ask for what he needed, which was for Valjean to break him deliberately. Mm. And he said, like, I don't want to want these things. I need you to semi-make me, even though we both agreement that this is what's happening, because I have to get past this rigidity of barriers that I have set up for myself. And that that was all happening in the sex scene, because that was the only time they actually allowed themselves to be that raw. Yeah, mm-hmm. and vulnerable. Yeah, and so yeah, it actually yes. did serve a good purpose in the character arc, which I wasn't expecting from the way it had been set up. Yes, I think I agree. Um, do we want to go on to Maleficent? Yes. yes. We're almost halfway through. So Freya is now driving the snake bus, which is the worst bus. <laughs> I don't want to be on bus. that bus. It's probably an Australian bus. Uh, <laughs> I feel I've just been maligned in some way that I'm not <laughs> quite sure about. Have you had a bad experience with an Australian bus? Have you been scarred in some I'm way? informed there were more snakes there. there Not on the here. buses. <laughs> <laughs> Not usually. Anyway, the movie Maleficent <laughs> was uh, a live-action retake on the character of Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, starring Angelina Jolie's cheekbones. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> It's the only person in that film. (laughs) And some other people. And it follows the fairy Maleficent through her growing up and her falling in love with a human prince. And then the way that he breaks her heart when he marries someone else. And so Maleficent takes out her anger by cursing the child Aurora, the princess who goes and lives with some other good fairies who do a not very good job of raising her. So Maleficent steps in. Slight correction. He breaks her heart. The moral of this movie is men are trash. Um, yeah. Uh, so, slight correction, he breaks her heart when he steals, steals her wings. That's true. Right. In a so, very clear rape analogy. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, so, like, he is given the opportunity to take over the kingdom if, like, whoever, whoever kills the fairy Malefic- Maleficent gets to be the next king. And so he, who is in love with Maleficent, goes like, well, I kind of want to be king more than I want to be in love with this girl. And so he goes and he chops That's off true. her wings. That's true. It's, about, it's about him making a choice yes. Uh, yes. between yes. her and power. Yep. And it's about, so most of the movie follows Maleficent watching Aurora grow up and sort of semi-accidentally, but then deliberately becoming a mother figure to Aurora. And then there's a whole lot of stuff with dragons and battles and the magic taking over. But most of it, the fun of it is in watching that slow 
a change of the relationship between Aurora and Maleficent. But also specifically, um, this flips the true love's kiss that saves Sleeping Beauty from being the prince that Sleeping Beauty had just met, who was like a nice boy. There was one nice, nice boy. Not nice all boy. men, I no. guess. No. <laughs> Not all princes. Not, Not all princes. princes. <laughs> um, to being familial love from Maleficent is what saves Aurora in this version. And I think for me, the villain redemption of this movie is as much meta-textual. Mm. Um, it's the interaction between this and the Disney movie, the original um, cartoon one, mm. in which Maleficent is just this two-dimensional uh, <laughs> villain. Mm. This doesn't actually show Maleficent really as someone who needs to be redeemed. It is redemption via transformative work. Yes. Like, it yes. uses one story to redeem the villain from another one yes. by showing you something more and changing the story, yes. which is very fetish. Basically, like because we have more information, her actions are more understandable. Mm. And I think that they, they, her actions changed somewhat. Like You yeah. never get Maleficent in the original interacting with the child. True, no. true, true. Yeah. yeah, it was showing that what it takes in order to change someone's heart is actually yeah exposure, right? Essentially, right. Yeah. If you know someone, it is harder to be absolutely villainous towards them. And somebody put a dot point in about Once Upon a Time. Oh yes, that was me. Uh, so if you've seen Once Upon a Time, it is this show which sort of takes all of the characters from classic fairy tales and smushes them together into one like, small New England town. Can I use the word smorgasbord? Sure, if you must. <laughs> it's a good word, Alex. And and then sort of, like, takes bits and pieces from fairy tales mm. to, like, <laughs> weave together a tapestry. You were talking about uh, about this earlier. Um, to weave together this tapestry where all these, these uh, fairy tales intersect with each other. Right. And the main villain of at least season one is the evil queen from Snow White, uh, who has adopted, let's see, so she's the step, evil stepmother, and then there's Snow White, and Snow White and Prince Charming have a child, and then the child has a child of her own. So, like, great step-great-grandmother? I gave up on that show. Yeah. It's trees. a weird show. It's very odd. And there was, there was a, like, a teenage, had an unfortunate baby, gave it up for an adoption, and that child... Yeah, and so then she adopts the great great the, the great the step great grandchild as her own child ages in this are, are fairy tale ages so like whatever mm -hmm. um but the the redemption arc that she has is pretty cool because like she very much starts out in this um place of being the main antagonist and do we trust her motivations and so forth I feel like she is a Slytherin primary and that never changes and never gets broken and I she agree. still gets redeemed. I, yeah, she's yes, great. I agree because her the tools that she uses mmm that changes fair. a lot. And especially in the first season it or is her a, allegiance rather changes. Sure. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, especially in the first season, again she is someone who in the end makes the good decision because of her child. Yes. Her adopted child. <laughs> and yes, there is this theme running through this one, through Maleficence, through the Lay Misfic of Kidvik is villain redemption. And I I had a I wanted to make a point here about Severus Snape. <laughs> because if you have a look at Snape and Maleficent, their origin stories are more or less fell in love, had heartbroken, decided to take out their anger on, on the person's child. Whereas Maleficent is changed and grows to love this child and to see that, you know, that child is blameless and doesn't deserve anything. But she still is, you know, semi-villainous. And we're meant to believe that Snape has been redeemed pre-canon. 
because he's working for the other side, but he's never reaches the point of treating children well. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. And so he's okay. meant to be redeemed, but it just leaves a really bad taste in your Peak mouth. Peak puppy kicker. Yeah. 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 And I think that like you can use children for this arc in the same way that you can use like other small helpless animals. Like if you see a person <laughs> you know what I mean. Um and, like if you see a a bad person and they have this thing that they love. Um like a puppy. Well, there's this actual program in some of the US prisons yeah. that are giving cats to inmates. Oh. Is yeah. It, is it meant to redeem the inmate or redeem the inmate in the eyes of the wider world no no it's it's for them to have something to care about and be connected to that's not going to hurt them and and yeah. just to, to because it's healthy to have something right. to it's love healthy to have a connection with another living but then being. you have like the bond <laughs> <laughs> healthy connection with okay, one's white but cat. that is because of the idea that we have in our society about cats being evil so if it was a because chihuahua they're feminine Bond because villain. they're feminine, exactly. Chihuahuas are also feminine, I'm sorry. Yeah, they are. Bond villain, Chihuahua. If the Bond villain, if the Bond villain had a big floppy golden retriever, you, we would all go, aww. See? He can't be that bad. He can't. It's strategic retriever. This is now reminding me of the terrible humans in Veep. In oh, the, yes. That we, so we did a thing on a, a Veep fanfic a little while back at these two it terrible the, humans. That was literally the one that was released on Wednesday. Oh, cool. It's on the <laughs> internet. Uh, these two terrible, terrible humans accidentally get married and then accidentally have a kid together. And I don't know if redeemed is the phrase I would ever use for that. No. But they do talk. Oh, that's right. They have a talk about what would be what is the perfect photogenic political family. They talk about getting a dog. They, they do. Yeah. And yeah. then they're just like, we can't. <laughs> it's just a step too far. But let's move on to the second half of the episode where we talk a little bit more generally. Because I have a question: mm -hmm. yeah. Is intent required for redemption? Yeah. Lex didn't have intent. You're right. It just sort of like happened to him. Right, like, is apology or regret or repentance required for something to be a redemption? I don't think it is required, but it is very common. Because um, to for the audience to... Okay, so for, for one thing, redemption is entirely subjective to the audience. There are people who feel like Snape was redeemed. And there are a lot of people who are like... Um, yeah. uh, there are people who feel at this point in time, and I think we... We'll save the rest of this conversation for the end of the episode if we have time. There are people on the internet who very much feel like Kylo Ren at this point can be redeemed. And there are people who are like, no, he's a space Nazi. So, so no. maybe pick a different Wooby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think the lame is, again, thesis is a very sort of Christian one. And it comes yes. from that place of, yes, you have to confess and you have to, you know, truly feel regret in order for God to then absolve you. Which is fascinating because it really hugely depends on your branch of Christianity as to whether you have to feel it or just say sorry. Yeah. Yes, and whether you then have to go away and say Hail Marys in order to yeah. you know, work through your absolution or not. In, in my far too much research on like the Italian Renaissance, there were lots of tales of noble women with carriage boys um, who would basically ride around oh, with What them. are these and where can I get one? <laughs> Do you have a salon? I could have a salon. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so, so these these noble women would have these handsome young men who were absolutely only there to take the like step stools out of their carriages, and they would ride around with them in their carriage. So it's the pool boy. Yes. Oh, like, I see. like legitimately, like 
ride around. Um, and then they would go to church and say, so I did this thing. And the priest would say, say five Hail Marys. And then they're like, cool, got it. Be back next week. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, and that, that, that is the appearance of repentance and the official redemption yes. without any actual change of intent to change your behavior. But I think that the Les Mis fic, because Les Mis canon does this, is hugely interwoven with Christianity and the Bible and what is, what is good, what is evil. Like, is it right and good to uphold the law when it means that children are starving? And that, again, you're right, it's all about what does the audience feel? Where does the audience fall on that curve of lawful to merciful? Mm. And for stories and narrative, I think we do want to feel, like, it's so in, tied up in emotion. Mm. That we want to know what this person is feeling, that they are feeling something, either regret. And if you had somebody who, from the outside, lived a perfect spotless life, but you looked inside their heart and saw what they were feeling and thinking, you know, is it all about action? Can you be villainous just from the way you feel if there is nothing villainous about how you act? Good place. The good place. Tahani. Mm. Yes. Right? So she is, is uh, shallow but does all of these good deeds and gets put in quote-unquote hell mm. anyway because the intent was not good, because the intent was jealousy. The intent was to show up her sister. Uh, and then that was judged as being, by that showrunner's morals, being... Villainous. That's true. Although, if you looked at her net effect on the world, yes, she was it, very, it very positive. good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is a show about redemption on a lot of different levels. Yes, yeah. and I love it. Um, yeah. So I, I think that we are onto something with like, what does the audience feel? Mm. And I think mm. so. Redemption is for me mostly about getting the audience to forgive a character. And so, to answer the original question, is intent required for redemption? I think that like. Whatever you can get the audience to, whatever you need to do to make the audience feel the thing that you're trying to, to accomplish here. And everyone in the audience, as we said, will have a different line for what is yeah. irredeemable. Yes. yes. Like, right. There will be a line for one person that says, look, this person committed an act earlier in the book or in their backstory that I do not personally think there's nothing they can do to redeem themselves and make them likable in my eyes. Yeah. Right. And so whatever the narrative tries to do for that is just not going to work for that particular audience. Yes. Right. And I think that this is one of the key distinctions between the philosophy of Hope Punk and the philosophy of Noble Bright. Mm. Like, can you break your ability to be good? Um, can you be tainted by a single bad act? Like, the Arthurian legends are all about, you did one bad thing and now you are bad forever. Yeah. That's just who you are. Your, your entire soul has been stained. Yeah, tainted. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, whereas the, the idea in, in Hope Punk is you just try to do good and you keep trying and trying and sometimes you fuck up. But that doesn't mean that you can never try again, that nothing you do will be worth anything. And so it's just a very different, like, shades of grey. Yes. Oh, I'm thinking of it now from, like, the states of change model of mm. counselling about addiction behaviour, because that's something that I do. Uh, Dr. Freya's... Dr. Freya's corner. It's a fun fact, Dr. Freya corner. There we go. <laughs> um, in that you have to normalise backsliding. Mm. You have sure. to say that any step towards self-improvement or towards a journey towards something better is going to involve taking two steps back and then sure. picking yourself up and saying, that's okay, I haven't failed, I'm not a bad person because I'm going to keep trying and keep moving up that slope. And, and I think that's a great point about like um, if you or having your character tell a narrative that they have given up, that they are now just bad, they're going to not be able to be redeemed mm -hmm. because they can't find that space in themselves to make that step. 
Mm. Yeah. 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 I agree. So you need, like, you need nuance and you need to, like, accept the existence of flaws and accept failure and also be open to forgiving yourself as well as forgiving others. Right. And I think for me, this is one of the reasons that these narratives are important and powerful because they show us that we can do a bad thing and then make up for it. Or maybe not successfully make up for it, but make ourselves better and not do it again. Yeah. As opposed to just the nihilistic, well, I'm just going to be bad now, I guess. Yep. Yep. Bucket. Um, but what you said about the character having to forgive themselves, that's interesting from the point of view of the lay Miz fic, because I think Javert never quite gets there in the text. Like he, uh, Maybe, no, maybe by, by the epilogue part of it, possibly. Two stars, but he's, boy. By the, yeah, by the end of it, he has forgiven Valjean because yes. he said, yes, I recognize you are acting out of compassion and there is a higher version of good by which you are merciful and good. But because his worldview has now flipped and been broken – he now has to reach a point of forgiving himself mm. for the actions that he did, which now by his new moral code were bad. Yes. And because he's just sort of moved his inflexibility from here to here, I think it's going to take a while for that to happen. For sure. And now I think we are on to the fun facts. Freya, captive prince corner. If you're following, so there's this drinking game for the podcast <laughs> that, oh, there's Magali. Welcome, Magali. Um, <laughs> Magali, Magali you told you to take a shot. And I'm playing, playing the drinking game as we speak. Oh, dear. I hope that's water. <laughs> We're not sorry. Magali is almost out of the water oh, and no. has been taking shots of water for the recording for <laughs> posterity. Job. So hydrated. Anyway, sorry, Freya, go yeah, ahead. Your fun fun about- Captain Prince Corner. Go. Yes. go. Well, it's sort of, I think we have been developing, almost by accident, a taxonomy yep. as we go through about the different types of redemption. So redemption just through action, redemption through one's internal state. And I think another arm that we have missed is one that is redemption in the eyes of the narrator or the audience, simply through the revelation of canonical backstory. Mm, So nothing changes about the person, nothing changes about the way they intend to conduct themselves in future (laughs) or what they have done, but we learn things about them and why they have done things that they have done that redeem themselves in the eyes of someone, usually the narrator, who was considering them to be plain villainous. Mm. And obviously the example here is Captive Prince because Damon is such a biased narrator <laughs> from the word poor boy. Uh, and he just thinks yep Laurent is completely evil he's done all these horrible things and he has done hot bad but things evil. hot but evil whereas, whereas Damon is a golden retriever puppy who's yep. been thrown into a court full of snakes it's true and because he is that kind of character the fact that Laurent essentially kicks the puppy for a whole book oh, yeah. <laughs> means that it does take a long time for this character to be redeemed but he becomes redeemed by us learning and by Damon learning what led him to the point where he is now and why he is doing the things that he has and what is his internal emotional state. Because all you see are his actions yes. to begin with. It takes you it's a, the, surface the, whole, level. the surface yeah. level and his actions are villainous. Mm. But it's about that idea of looking what the internal state actually is. And he does show regret for the things that he has had to do. Mm. But kind inside, yeah. some of yeah. them. Some of them. <laughs> I'm sorry I flogged the golden retriever. You know. <laughs> That's going to be our pull quote. Yeah. <laughs> but taken as a whole, that trilogy has a redemption narrative sure. in it. It's just something that we go through as readers. It's not something that Laurent goes through himself as a character. I, I feel like I do actually now want to jump back to the thing that we skipped over, which is romance yes. and the villain. Like redemption through romance. And uh, 
also the flip side of that, which is falling in love with people who are just terrible and remain terrible. Yeah. Mm. And yes, redeemed by the love of a good woman. Yes, and it is quite gendered. Yes, like, if yes. you look at Maleficent, the whole thing, the the love of the man was the thing that corrupted her, yes. that broke her and turned her evil. Well, he was the one who did the thing, but it was her love story was her villain origin. Yes. And I think we do see that a lot in female yes. villains. And I think, honestly, that's one of the reasons why a lot of the um, redemption via transformative work hmm. that we see are about female villains, because sure. there is this growing need to reclaim these people. Like Wicked is about, you know, the Wicked Witch of of the whatever it was um uh, and she, again of showing the of the west and again giving her this huge backstory explaining why the way she is and then changing the story and because women have been put in these fairly sort of straightforward villainous roles there is a lot more of an urge to create transformative work to then redeem them because i think you're right that this love of a good woman redeeming the male villain <laughs> tends to be gendered in that direction i can't think of many examples in which it's the other way around. I'm now thinking once again of the queer music video for Genghis Khan. <laughs> I'm Whether we're not thinking that, about the Genghis I'm Khan. I'm always video. thinking of that. In which the mad scientist is uh, decides that he wants to have children and a domestic life with the James Bond secret agent and thus redeems himself, if, I guess. If you haven't seen this, it, it, like the song is long. Genghis Khan and the artist is Mike Snow. And yeah. it's amazing. And it is amazing. I mean, from memory, I don't think he... Sh does he plan to give up his villainous ways in completely, or does he just add domesticity to it? No, but he, <laughs> he, he adds, adds domesticity with James Bond. And yes. I feel like it's kind of in hard a cardigan, to have, in, in a like cardigan, a soft yeah. cardigan. But in he still has, cardigan. you know, goes to work, has a long day, super villaining, comes home. Oh, darling kids! I feel like James Bond would not accept his day job being super villainy. I think I would agree. James Bond does not have a great no because moral because <laughs> like <laughs> when he, here's my True. argument when he leaves his. So he keeps his children when he leaves his wife to have his children with James Bond instead. Uh, his wife takes over the supervillaining business. Remember right at the yes. end? Yes, yeah. right. Okay. Sorry for spoiling sure. this. Sorry for spoiling minute. the music yeah. video. This three minute you, you, yeah. uh, music it's very video. Which, you should watch yeah. it. Which is great, but also, mm, women broken by her man. Yeah, also that. Yeah, it does exactly. that thing again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just thinking about like Ursula or Cruella de Vil or like any of these. We don't get any kind of hint as to why they are villains. Mm. Women I, just are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for some of them, I think it works. Like, honestly, mm. I think Cruella Deville would stop working if you gave her a sad backstory. No, she just swans in with her cigarettes and her love of furs, and she's perfect the way she is. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so yep. she doesn't need to have a humanizing backstory because she, she is a caricature in a very enjoyable way. Right. But there's also just like uh, the romance genre, uh, a lot of the older romances, and even today, are just really into very bad men and not like bad in a like Otebeck riding a motorcycle and kidnapping bad you way. boy yeah. not yeah. like a bad boy but like the Nazi romances yeah. like no. that's yeah. fine let's definitely keep publishing those <laughs> in this day and age yeah. or ever really and then we try to redeem those characters yeah. and I, what is it that makes us feel like we want to redeem even that level I think it's partially like wishful thinking, right? Like mm. like when we have this person who is deeply, deeply evil and like complicit in atrocities, like the part of our heart that wants to believe in the inherent goodness of humanity wants to find some scrap of goodness in there. And we want to 
like we're hungry for it. It doesn't right, mean that right. we mm -hmm. should. It doesn't mean that like the literature is right or that we should be publishing be these books. But the human instinct is there mm -hmm. to like find something to forgive. And I think the reason we run into problems with things like Nazi romances is that that gets tangled up with a completely different wish fulfillment, yeah. which is the if I am wonderful enough and lovable enough, I can change someone. Um, and, you know, the love of me will be what changes a man who is rakish and, you know, has had done some bad things. But once he falls in love with the perfect heroine, he will change his ways. And that getting mixed up with the desire for a scrap of humanity, I think, becomes very messy because yeah. then you start treading in areas of yeah, stories that shouldn't really be told. Yeah, right. But, but yeah. it's coming from those that those twin desires in the romance genre specifically. Yeah. Mm. We only have about five minutes left, and I think there's there is person to tell us. Um, so uh, shall we talk about Draco Malfoy a little bit? Yeah. Um, because we, well, we talked about Snape, and I don't really care about Snape. That's I do bad. care about Draco Malfoy. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that he was, in terms of the canon, not in terms of sure. the fandom that came after, but in terms of the canon, do you think that he was technically redeemed, or did he just sort of end up tolerated by the canon? Well, okay, let's talk about the last book, because yeah. God knows I've read, by weight, significantly more fan fiction than J.K. Rowling fiction. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to remember what happened in the yeah. book. Yes. <laughs> um, so, we're talking in the last book, Draco Malfoy had the opportunity to rat them out to Voldemort and didn't, is that correct? Or was that yeah. Narcissa? Because Narcissa definitely had that, but was Draco involved? Both. Both. Yeah. Okay, so I would argue that that is of a sort a hint towards redemption, but we didn't get nearly enough interiority on Draco to ever really know. I think also it is, so they're wizard Nazis, yes. right? And I think it is easier for Draco to have redemption because he was like 17 at the time right. and he was being used by the adults in his life. And he did not fully, he was not fully able to consent to what was happening to him or have a full understanding of it. I would agree that showing him making a deliberate choice to reject that right. yeah. um, in favor of the other side is the one step towards redemption. If they hadn't shown that, if they'd just shown that, you know, well, his parents sort of made the decision and then after the war they kind of faded into obscurity and then you just see him standing <laughs> on the platform, that would not be a redemption. You, I think yeah. the no. fact that there is a, a deliberate choice made by this character towards good is shows that he can be on the first steps towards a redemption journey, but yeah. we don't see much of it. I'm now thinking of a similar thing to the Les Mis fanfic, which is in order to have a satisfying redemption story, the one being redeemed has to risk or lose something. Mm. Like, risk a real danger. Like, Draco was risking his life. If that was discovered, he would have been killed. Javert risks and then actually loses his entire career um, in order to break away from this poisonous philosophy. And risks his freedom, because risks if his freedom. he's discovered, he will be thrown in jail. And Maleficent had to give up her revenge, her vengeance plan, upon the one who'd, who'd raped her. Um, and in, again, Lex had to give up his original world in order to even remotely be redeemed in that fic. Yeah, and their actions of symbolic repentance mm, because sure. otherwise if it's just you do nothing and then someone forgives you for all the bad <laughs> shit you've done you haven't really been redeemed you've just been forgiven yeah yeah and there's no guarantee that you will do anything differently next time so you're not not a villain i think also redemption might be something that's internal whereas forgiveness mm. is something that's external right because forgiveness is a 
choice that other people make towards you. And redemption is something like it's a personal journey. I feel like redemption is a tangle of a lot of things and it has to include to some degree or other your impact on the world. Right. Otherwise, what's it for? Right. Yeah, you can't have someone making you know completely neutral actions and like, oh yeah, just believe that they're they're good now because inside they're good. You're right. right. There has to be both. There has to be impact and consequence, and there has to be a change in the interiority. Which is why Baru Cormorant is a great villain. Yes. Yes. Do you, we have like three minutes left. We're not going to get into that. Then, okay. <laughs> but, um, but TLDR: uh, very, very good intent, but deeply bad actions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a good anti-hero. So, real quick question then. Mm-hmm. Comparing Draco's redemption to Snape's redemption. Obviously, like, the, the redemption, right. Um, so, Draco's, I think, mostly, like, you see the beginning arc of it in the last book, right? Because he's starting to change the kinds of choices that right. he makes. So, both his re- redemption and Snape's redemption happen off page, and we don't get to see much or any of it. We get to see, like, a little snip of each one. I would say that the problem with Snape's redemption yeah. is that he has successfully redeemed like him being a Death Eater and all of the killy things he did in the last war, yeah. but he has not redeemed the shit he's doing right now on page. Correct. Yeah, and that matters because what yeah. we see him do on page is be horrible to children. You don't get redemption credits that you can yeah. keep spending. Yeah. That's not how this works. You have yeah. to do the redeeming thing again yeah, if you do more bad shit. And if you try and build that into a narrative that you have someone do all these horrible things by choice, he doesn't have to be a bad, horrible teacher. Yeah. Clearly, he's choosing to do that. And then you turn oh, but around. Voldemort has to see that he is being mean to people so he knows that he's really still an evil. Yeah, he's just got a schoolroom full of puppies that he's just constantly kicking. You've to got prove to kick to be in a puppy kicker club. Yeah. But if you turn around as a author, and then sure. say, but you have to forgive him for all of that because he's not a space Nazi anymore. That doesn't Wizard work. Nazi. It doesn't work, Nazi. We are now probably on negative time. So all right. Yeah. Who is doing the outro? I will do it. Okay. We have to stop talking now. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, live from Worldcon. We have just got the stop. We are going to be heading down to Martin's Bar on the first floor, which for all the confused Americans in the room is the second floor. <laughs> Thank you so I'm much. I'm con- confused American. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Recording live was a whole new experience for us, and we had an amazing time. Thank you so much to everyone who showed up to watch and laugh with us, including both our longtime listeners and those newcomers who decided to take a chance on our panel. All three of us had a blast at Worldcon and at the Hugo ceremony, so we have to say thank you again to everyone who nominated and voted for us for the Hugos. For me personally, this was my first ever non-Australian convention, and I got to meet so many cool people and have so many experiences that I will never forget. For the next episode, two weeks hence on October 2nd, we're delving into that beloved tried-and-true trope, the found family. So if you have a friend, a cousin, an adopted sister, or a wacky gay uncle who might be into that, maybe encourage them to check it out. One of our tentpoles for that week will be the book Monstrous Regiment by Terry Pratchett. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? You can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com and we're at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr. And we also do have a fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. If you have enjoyed the podcast and would like to support us and potentially access some fun bonus content every month, we also have a Patreon, 
which you can find at patreon.com slash serpentcast. And by the way, there is good in you. We've felt it. <laughs>